Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to this installment of the Steel Conversation pregame preview. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but it is time uh, to talk Steeler football in preparation for the 2016 season. We've got Max Demera of Detroit Lions on 24-7 Sports, good enough to join us. So he's going to give us the Lions perspective on what Detroit fans can look forward to and just overall uh, what matchups that both fan bases uh, can be excited for as uh, both Detroit and Pittsburgh kick off their uh, their 2016 uh, seasons. But, Max, I, I kind of wanted to start the conversation by talking uh, with you about uh, what's transpired um, you know, during the Steelers and Lions uh, uh, joint practices Tuesday and Wednesday. It seemed like there was uh, <laughs> there was some intense moments and pushing and shoving going on. Yeah, it, it sure seemed like there was. You know, we saw that uh, Don Carey actually, who, by the way, has been fantastic for the Lions in camp, all over the field, intercepting Matthew Stafford several days, which, you know, led, led to a lot of the frustration in the fan base, wondering if Stafford, you know, off, he's getting intercepted by Don Carey, who's a special teamer. But Don Carey was really aggressive. He smoked Le'Veon Bell uh, reportedly in, in that practice yesterday, and the Steelers were not happy about it. And then we kind of, you know, can, we can kind of speculate that that led to the little fracas between Josh Bynes and uh, and Le'Veon Bell later on. And yeah, it got hot. You know, that's what had. That's why you love those joint practices. It, it gets hot. It's hot outside. It's you know, ninety some degrees. You know, hundred percent humidity. The guys are wearing pads, and then they're hitting each other. And then oh, by the way, they're hitting other guys from a different team that that are also competing to try to make the roster spot. You know what? This is the first Lions joint practice since 2000 when they did it with Carolina. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was great for them to get out there and kind of, you know, feel their oats against a different opponent rather than just knocking heads in practice, knocking heads in practice, you know, the same old, same old. I thought it was a great idea. And, uh, yeah, it's always cool to see what happens when these teams get together on the practice field. Yeah, and it's also nice to see, too, you know, uh, what rookies are standing out. Because, you know, you always hear all these reports, well, this guy looks good in OTAs, this guy looks good in minicamp, or this guy looks good going, going up against the same matchup. So it's nice to see, you know, like I know for you guys, you know, Darius Slay going against Antonio Brown. You know, Slay is, is you know, one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. He did well against Des Bryant in the playoffs a few years back. So, you know, Antonio Brown's doing well against him. I mean, that shows – Stewart fans that, hey, you know, Antonio Brown is already primed to go for the regular season, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but, you know, it, it still kind of settles the nerves of people that are worried that there might be a hangover from dancing with the stars and, and, and you know, maybe Antonio Brown might be a little more shy after the concussion, but apparently that that's not the case because uh, Slay had some bulletin board things to say after his matchup with Brown. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and, and you could almost see that coming. I mean, Antonio Brown's one of the best receivers in football, if not the best right now, after the retirement of Calvin Johnson. I don't think there's any question that, that he's the next guy up. And, uh, and Slay, you know, he just got a, a $50 million extension from the Lions, feeling confident. Uh, you know, he's been playing well in practice against Marvin Jones and his own guys. So coming into this this camp against Brown, you knew it was just going to be a showdown, and and Brown got him a couple times. And uh, but but what I liked was that Slay didn't back down. You know, he admitted that there's things that he needs to work on that Brown could make him better with, as far as on the line of scrimmage. You know, 
Slay said that Brown was one of the fastest guys he's seen off the line of scrimmage. And he said the difference was between Calvin Johnson and Antonio, that Calvin Johnson, you could put a hand on him, you could, you know, because he was bigger, so big. Brown, he said, was just so elusive. He said he was just shake, shake, and he was gone. He said, so that's, that's the kind of thing that he needs to work on. So another benefit of those joint practices is seeing, you know, a guy like that go up against a guy in the secondary like Slay they can really make each other better. And I think, uh, I think Slay will take what he learned in going against Brown and use it to his advantage during the regular season against some of his matchups, which he admitted he doesn't see a guy like Brown in the NFC North, not, you know, not nearly as much, you know, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, guys like that, Alshon Jeffrey, but you're not seeing a guy like Antonio Brown on that level. So I think it's only going to help make Slay better in the end. Yeah, I mean, Calvin Johnson, it's amazing when you look at, you know, he had all the tools, but he was still a great player in his own right, just based on, you know, his work ethic. Um, but you look at Antonio Brown, he's not anything like Calvin Johnson in terms of, 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 of physicality or just how he looks physically. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of honestly, it's amazing what, what Brown's able to do, given the fact that he's not six feet. He might be probably 200 pounds, you know, maybe a little bit under, but it's just kind of amazing when you look at those two in terms of production, uh, you know, they're right there. I mean, Calvin's number one all time single season receiving yards, Antonio Brown's fourth. And, and that is a record that Antonio Brown is chasing. I want to ask you, do you think that, that Brown has the chance of surpassing? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure you watched Calvin at length that season. You remember how hard it was for him to get uh, 1,964. Do you think Brown has a chance of surpassing that? I don't think there's any question he does. I mean, look, the NFL has become such a passing league. The only thing that might hurt Antonio Brown, in my mind, is that the Steelers have such a, a vast array of weapons, whether it's Wheaton or guys coming up like that, or they always like to make use of the tight end. With years, it was Heath, For years, it was Heath Miller. You know, they have a great running game. So they spread the ball out, and they, they'll throw the ball out of the backfield as well a lot to Le'Veon Bell. But I think Brown is, you know, he's, he commands such respect and such attention, and he's so good, you know, and, and let's be honest, Ben Roethlisberger still has, you know, that veteran in him where he can get a guy like that the ball. I think there's no question that Brown, you know, within a couple years, I think you're going to see that record fall. I mean, I know – you know, when it happened, it was amazing for Calvin Johnson and for Lions fans because, let's face it, Lions fans haven't had the success team-wise that they've liked, you know, as other teams have liked through the years. So they uh, they hang on to these records they have, and they, they really like the fact that he's, you know, the all-time leading uh, receiver of the season. But, you know, it's such a passing league, and I think the Steelers are so good at, at what they do that I think you could see Brown, you know, shatter that in a season or two. I mean, it wouldn't be a shock at all to me to see that record go down quickly. I I don't think he will for one main reason. I mean, well, 2A, it's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> no knock on Brown, but I, I think B, the Steelers' offensive dynamic changes significantly when Le'Veon Bell plays. I mean, they – they are are way more patient with the run as opposed to when D'Angelo Williams was in games last year. It would be okay. I mean, there was I think it was in Seattle. He had let, and Denver last year. He had less than ten carries. D'Angelo Williams because if he's not going, the Steelers say okay, we're going to throw the ball. But you know, I remember against the Rams, who actually you know they had a pretty uh, stout run defense last year when Le'Veon was healthy. Le'Veon kept getting the rock, and even though his yards per carry was you know in the low three range, they kept being patient with him just because. They feel like his talents are that good, and, and eventually he's going to bust a long run. So 
it, it's worth playing the law of average game and just hoping that more carries leads to one big one. But I want to talk to you about, you know, health. I know Slay will be out, uh, I believe, correct, for, for Friday's game? Yeah, they're thinking he's going to be out. I, I wouldn't bet on seeing him. Uh, he left yesterday, or he didn't practice yesterday for what they said was a health issue. Now, you know, Jim Caldwell's very quiet about those health issues, so it could be anything, it could be nothing, but if he's injured, they are very careful with their guys. You won't see Eric Ebron, who was coming off the scare with the the uh, leg injury. They thought it was an Achilles. Uh, it turned out that that's not necessarily the case. You won't see Ebron. You probably won't see DeAndre Levy, who's still coming back slowly after last year's hip problem he had. So, you know, you're not going to get a lot uh, a lot of, of, you know, the starters. I, I don't know how much Stafford will play, Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, those guys. I wouldn't expect to see more than a series or two out of them. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think you're going to see Slay tomorrow night. You probably won't see Ziggy Ansa either uh, very much. Uh, he did say he was going to play even though he was removed last, uh, yes, during yesterday's practice late, and people thought he was hurt, but it turned out he said, no, I'll, I'll be good to go for Friday. So, you know, you'll see him a series or two, but I don't think they're going to push the limit on a lot of these guys. You know, we saw what happened last year with Jordy Nelson. I think that will scare them off of playing any of those guys very long at all. Oh, I agree. And, and conversely, when you look at the Steelers, I mean, Big Ben's already been ruled out. Le'Veon, D'Angelo, Antonio Brown, Marquise Pouncey, who got hurt the same game that Jordy Nelson got hurt in. Actually, that was a that was a double whammy for both for, <laughs> both organizations. You know, you see Nelson get hurt on he was I don't believe he was even touched on the play, and then you get uh, you get Pouncey get you know he gets hurt in the same game. So it was you know definitely a tough day you know for both Green Bay and the Steelers. You know, in a game that. that in hindsight, it didn't matter at all. The Steelers won that game, but I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. It was a preseason game. So, uh, Marvin Jones, if that's a bummer. I would have liked to have seen the Steelers go against him. If, if you remember, uh, you know, last year he was a Bengal receiver. Him and Mike Mitchell had uh, some choice words um, after the Bengals uh, went over the Steelers in week eight. Are, are Detroit fans excited about him, uh, you know, now coming in? And, I mean, let's face it, no one's going to replace Calvin Johnson, but, but – you would hope that Jones will provide, you know, some stability and then hopefully Detroit can respond with a stable of good receivers. Oh, yeah. Uh, the fans here are just excited about Marvin Jones. Uh, they're really excited, I think, about Anquan Bolden, too, adding that veteran voice to that group. Uh, you know, the, the Lions, for all they did in the offseason, you know, they didn't draft anybody. They brought in a couple uh, undrafted free agents in Jay Lee and Quinshot Davis, a couple of guys that, you know, under-the-radar college production – both Lee and Davis, you know, they had big seasons at, at Baylor and North Carolina, respectively, but nothing that would, you know, nothing consistent where you could say that's why they, they would got, would have gotten drafted. So the Lions are looking to kind of do it by committee. And, uh, yeah, Marvin Jones at the top, excellent addition. In fact, a lot of people have been saying around here that he's quietly becoming the first option for Matthew Stafford had a couple good practices there against the Steelers a couple days ago they were using him to set set up a lot of their offense and go through Marvin Jones deep so I think you're going to see them use use Marvin Jones a lot and and I think like you said it's going to be you know a a group effort it's going to be all the guys pulling together as one I mean you're going to be depending on a guy like Jeremy Curley you know who's had a couple average seasons in the NFL with the Jets to come in and give you production just as much as you'll be depending on Golden Tate, Marvin Jones, and Anquan Bolden. So, you know, I thought the the one addition that they did make that was superior was Bolden at the, at the right in here before the beginning of camp because you throw him in, 
he adds that veteran voice. He gives you the same thing Calvin Johnson does from a, a personality level. Excellent human being, great guy. I had a chance to talk with him when I went to camp last week. Just a, a fantastic guy, fantastic personality, great for the team. So, you know what? And honestly, in a short period of time, I think you've seen wide receiver go from a big, huge question mark to, well, it could be a strength because they have so many guys at the position that could come in and, and fill a role and, uh, and compete. So it'll be real fun to see how they, they shake that out in uh, tomorrow night's game against the Steelers. Yeah, I think for Steeler fans, you know, uh, defensive secondary, you know, the backfield's been the big question mark. You know, they, they were 30th in, in average passing yards per game. I don't love that stat, though, because as we've discussed, football is a passing sport now predominantly, and, and a lot of teams honestly didn't even try to run on the Steelers last year. So, you know, football's become that sport, you know, based on how much liberty the offense has and just how intricate passing games are now. It, it's very hard to just dominate the game in terms of just shutting down both the running and the pass. So, again, it's more like a lot of averages. If you face 40 passes in a game as opposed to 20, odds are you're going to allow more yards. And I think that was in large the, the case for the Steelers last year was just the fact that teams went in saying, hey, we're going to just air the ball out. And eventually, if you're never facing running play, you're going to give up some passing yards. But in any event, you know, the Steelers have had a, a big injury. Uh, Sanquez Golson got hurt, um, you know, already in training camp. So Steelers are shuffling right now trying to get, you know, a depth chart for their secondary. So I think Steeler fans, it's a good and bad. You know, you, you'd like to see – um, the Steelers face a good quarterback, even though that means they might get the game, you know, have some yards gained against them in Friday night's game. But, um, you know, talk about the passing game that the Steelers' defense might face tomorrow and, and how much of a challenge are they going to have on Friday night? Well, outside of Matthew Stafford, who is going to play, you know, like we said, maybe one, two series, you're, you know, you're going to see a lot of Dan Orlovsky, who, I mean, he's been much maligned throughout his, his career. He's a solid backup. But he's not a guy that's going to, you know, stretch the field a whole lot. He's not a rocket arm guy like Matthew Stafford. And uh, and beyond that, you're going to see Jake Rudock, the quarterback from Michigan, who, uh, you know, he's got a lot of good intangibles, a lot of good smarts. They've talked a lot about how uh, excellent he's been command of the offense-wise and, and mentally during this, this camp period to adjust quickly to the NFL. But, again, he's not a guy that's, that's whipping the ball downfield. So, you know, if the Steelers are looking to get a, lot, a little bit of work in for their secondary, they may be out of luck. And then also you combine that with the fact that the Lions, you know, have been running a lot more hurry-up offense and, and intermediate passes and short passes. And I think you're going to see the Lions this year because of their offensive line situation. They added all these new, these new rookies. Uh, they gave up 89 sacks last year on Matthew Stafford, which is just an ungodly amount. I think you're going to see them change the way they, they go downfield. You're going to see more short intermediate passes. You're going to see more no huddle. You're going to see more you know quick runs, that sort of thing. So it may not be the best test, ideally, for the Steelers of the first opener. But you know with Stafford in there and Marvin Jones, for a couple series, you may see uh, some pretty good matchups and, and some things that, that uh, the folks that went to camp uh, this week saw when the Lions and Steelers got together on the field in, in Latrobe. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things in preseason where, you know, you, you want to see at least, in terms of, you know, the opposition, you want to see the op- you know, opposing quarterback, starting quarterback, play at least a few uh, possessions just so you can see what you might be getting out of your first team defense next year. And I know the Steelers in large, I mean, they're not, I don't think they're going to be holding out that many players for Friday night's game in terms of, you know, defense. I know offense, they've got a lot of guys out, but 
you know, I know right now uh, one Stewart that won't play, which I know disappoints Steeler fans, his number one pick already burns. He's, you know, been shaken up a little bit. He's missed several practices over the last two weeks. So, you know, he's going to be uh, out for tomorrow night's game. But you're going to see, you know, Ross Cockrell, William Gay, uh, you know, might get some playing time. You're going to see Sean Davis get a lot of playing time. He's the Steelers' number two pick who, who you know, lined up at safety and cornerback in college. And, and who would have known how important that would be? Because now with Golston Hurt, uh, he's probably going to be the Steelers' starting cornerback in the slot. So, yeah, you would hope that, you know, the Lions, at least for the Steelers' sake in terms of, of getting them, of you know, reps against a top-flight NFL quarterback as Stafford is, if they get a few possessions uh, with him out there. Talk to me about the, the Lions' offensive line. I know that was, uh, you know, the Steelers were third in the NFL in sacks last year, and, and that's been a huge emphasis on the Steelers is, hey, we got to keep getting pressure on the quarterback, especially, um, let's just face it, if you're a Steelers fan out there, they're 30th in passing yards allowed, so I would say even 20th this season would, you know, would be an improvement. You know, they're not going to go from 30th to number one or two overnight. So uh, the, the main ingredient for the Steelers to have success defensively is going to be the pass rush. Um, you know, for the Lions, you know, I know with Stafford, I mean, he's certainly not Big Ben's age yet, but he's you know late 20s, he's getting up there. So you want to make sure he gets protected. What kind of offensive line is Detroit going to try out there on Friday night? You're going to see Eric Decker, pardon Eric Decker, you're going to see Taylor Decker, a rookie from Ohio State, play left tackle. That's, they've been adamant about that. They've kind of tried to hide it in camp, but I think Decker is going to be their starting left tackle this year. That's the idea. You move Riley Reef to the right side, he's going to play right tackle. That's a position change for him. They hope he can be better on the, the right side than he was on the left where he struggled badly last year. Let's not sugarcoat it. There was a lot of pressure coming at Matthew Stafford's blind side. So they hope Decker from day one can kind of cement that and at least hold up to the point where he's respectable over there so that Stafford's not constantly facing a barrage. Uh, in the middle, you see, uh, you know, the tack, you see for, at both guard positions, you see Lakin Tomlinson, a second-year man out of Duke, really needs to raise his game. And he's had an up-and-down camp for the Lions, but they need him to step up to, to live up to that first-round pick billing when the Lions traded up to get him in 2014. He had an average season last year. They need him to do much better. Larry Warford had a great rookie season when he was a rookie after being drafted in 2013, but fell back last year and had injuries as a result of that, so they'll look for him to step up. And then at center, I think, is one of the most intriguing battles on the whole line for Detroit. You've got Travis Swanson, who the, the previous regime drafted in the third round a couple of years back, kind of handed him the job after Dominic Riola retired. But last year, he struggled really badly, and that was a quiet, as much as people wanted to point it, at Riley Reef for being the reason that Stafford was getting sacked so much off the blind side. Lots of pressure was coming through the middle. And this offseason in the draft, the Lions selected Graham Glasgow from Michigan center with their third third round pick. They also have Gabe Eichert, who's kind of a veteran guy backing up, but he played a little bit down the stretch last year. So you're really going to want to watch and see over that middle how the Lions react to it because it could mean a big thing for Swanson. If they give him a few more series to try to get his feet wet, that's a battle that honestly – he could lose because they're not going to draft a guy like Glasgow to leave him sit on the bench or use him in a swing guard role. So I think that's a very quiet position, but there's a lot of questions on along that Lions offensive line, more depth this year, more youth that should help them out. But obviously facing, like you said, a team like the Steelers who likes to get after the football, likes to get after the quarterback, great matchup for them to start the year because the Steelers, we've seen it for years. They can bring guys off the bench 
and pass rush from every angle in that 3-4. So it's a great matchup for Detroit to kind of get their feet wet and see what they've got this year with the young guys. For sure. And, hey, I'm a Buckeye, Taylor Decker. I mean, that was a guy that I know the Steelers Steelers knew they weren't going to get him, but they they went to Ohio State's Pro Day and they talked to him reportedly. So excited to see, you know, how he does with Detroit and and, and shoring up their offensive line. And, uh, you know, I know for the Steelers fans, uh, they're going to want to see Jarvis Jones and Bud Dupree, what they can do early uh, in tomorrow night's game. You know they're going to be going off the edge. Because that's what the beauty of preseason is that, you know, okay, do the games count? No. But – that being said, you're going to see defenses taking a lot more shots just be and offenses just because, hey, uh, worst-case scenario, you know, hey, there's an interception or there's a touchdown pass against you and, oh, well, <laughs> it doesn't matter. So, you know, obviously you, you don't want to start developing bad habits, but I think, you know, for example, you know, the Steelers are going to get after the quarterback tomorrow, especially when the starters are in. Uh, Jarvis Jones, Bud Dupree, the outside linebackers, they're going to be just – their ears will be pinned back, and then there's going to be sprinting of the quarterback as soon as the ball snaps. So, you know, I, I think for the, you know, each unit, the Lions, the Lions, Steelers, uh, you know, linebackers, that's going to be a fun, a fun thing to see early on if they can, you know, Detroit can protect their quarterback, and conversely, if the Steelers can get to uh, the opposing quarterback going up against, you know, an opposing uh, offenses, starting offensive line. But uh, Detroit's run defense, how good are they, Max? I know, you know, Le'Veon Bell's going to be out. D'Angelo Williams is going to be out. Um, so the Steelers are going to want to try to run the ball. And they're going to try to find out who their true number three running back is because they've got a young guy named Daryl Richardson uh, who's come up and is looking uh, good for the black and gold. And he's going to try to challenge Toussaint. So, uh, you know, how good is Detroit's defensive uh, uh, against the rush? And who are some, some stout run stuffers that the Steelers fans need to look out for? They actually have been pretty solid. You know, after they lost in Dominican Sue, everybody thought that the Lions were going to take a giant step back, never be the same. But they've shown they can develop some guys. Uh, and it's more than just Nada in the middle. Tyrone Walker had a great season last year. He was playing at a very high level until he broke his leg in the Monday night game in Seattle. And, uh, you know, most Lions fans only remember that game for the controversial bat out of the end zone where the refs once again, you know, took out their holy wrath on the Lions and the fans just, you know, think they're cursed or something for that. But quietly, they lost Tyron Walker, which was a big blow to their line last year. But he's back. He's healthy. You should see a little bit of him. And then beyond that, you're going to see some good young players. Karan Reed, uh, fifth-round pick from a couple years ago out of Princeton, has really come along in his own right uh, as a run stuffer, can put a little bit of pressure on the quarterback as well. Uh, and then they, they drafted in the second round. It was a major steal, I thought, for the Lions to be able to get Ashawn Robinson in the second round, a very active defensive lineman out of uh, Alabama. Great run stuffer already coming out of college. The only question has been, can he put some heat on the quarterback? We've seen a little bit of that in camp thus far. He's put some heat uh, on the uh, offensive line for the Lions, going against him one-on-one in practice. And then you've got some spare parts, some guys that are scrapping to make the roster. You've got a guy like Stefan Charles from from the Buffalo Bills last year. Comes over, but he's very gritty. He's the kind of, you know, lunch pail guy that this line loves with Terrell Austin, who's a big, big proponent of having guys be able to come in in waves and put pressure. On the edge, you're probably, like we said, we're probably not going to see much of Ansa, a little bit of him. But beyond that, you're going to see Devin Taylor, eight sacks last year, had a decent year. He's coming into his own long, long arms, freakish kind of athlete. And then you're going to see a lot of gritty guys. You know, you guys will remember Wallace Gilberry. He played with uh, Cincinnati. And, he, you know, you know how he is. He's got a, you know, he's got a motor on him, and he can get after the quarterback. He's going to be one oh, of the yeah, backups. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
And then a guy like Anthony Zettel out of Penn State, who's who's shown great, great, great motor this this year in camp, had a really impressive day the other day against the Steelers in camp, uh, from all accounts. So you'll see him getting in. So it's a versatile line. It's, it's got a, a lot of youth, which is good for Detroit, and I think it's good for Pittsburgh too because they'll be seeing a lot of those guys, you know, throughout the game later in in the, the quarter and stuff, both in the third and fourth quarter, they'll be seeing a lot of those guys that are scrapping for roster spots and, and a lot of Detroit's excellent depth they have, which I think has really served them well the last few years as they bridge the gap between losing an, an all-world run plugger and, and pass rusher and Dominican Sue and having to kind of go by coalition. Right. Now, conversely, uh, you know, the Steelers are going to try to make sure that they're um, – you know, their run defense is stout. I mean, they allowed just 3.8 yards per carry last year after allowing well over 4.0 yards per carry in 2014. And, you know, with the Steelers and, and Steelers fans, that that's like a, a big, big no-no is you allow Burns to run the ball on you. And the Steelers like to be kings of the rush. They like to be, you know, be a dominant run offense and a dominant run defense. And, you know, this year's no different. They're, they're expecting, uh, you know, once again, the defensive line to be stout with Cameron Hayward who might go up against his old buddy, uh, college buddy, in uh, Taylor Decker. Um, even though I don't think they actually were at OSU at the same time. It's hard to believe Hayward's already 27 years old. But in any event, the Steelers brought in a new defensive tackle, Javon Hargrave. He's going to be competing with, with Dan McCullers to start uh, on the Steelers' defensive line. So you're going to see uh, those two competing early and often for reps uh, tomorrow. Um, now, what kind of, uh, of rushing attack do you think the Steelers' defense can expect tomorrow night from Detroit? You're probably not going to see much of Amir Abdullah. He was the guy last year that the Lions had uh, drafted out of Nebraska, and he ran well, but he had fumble problems, which really killed the second half of his season. You're going to see more along the lines of Zach Zenner, who was last year, you know, we we like to make a joke in Detroit about how the Lions were the preseason champions in 2008. Well, they had the, the, the preseason rushing champion last year in Zach Zenner. You'll see a lot of him. He's been running really well in camp. Uh, you'll see him get a lot of the handoffs. And you'll also see, I would imagine, a little bit of Theo Riddick. They've been using him more in the backfield role. He's a swingback guy. Uh, last year set the Lions single-season record for receptions by a running back, which was big news considering they had Barry Sanders, James Stewart, all those guys right. that could catch the ball out of the backfield. This guy sets the record, but they, they haven't used him in between the tackles as much. And, and he was, you know, he's kind of still learning that after being a receiver at Notre Dame. So you'll see him probably get some more handoffs than expected. And then, you know, beyond that, you're probably going to see a little bit of Steven Ridley, who they're trying to ease into the offense, who, you know, a guy that, that had some great year, good, solid years with the New England Patriots. Wouldn't call them great years, I guess. They were decent years. And then went to the Jets, you know, had injury problems and such, and he's trying to revive his career in a third running back type role in Detroit. So you'll see a little bit of him. And then you'll see George Wynn, who's a guy from Detroit, another guy kind of in the mold of center, a great motor guy, and never stops fighting. And he's always on the cusp of making the roster. He's kind of a, a perpetual uh, you know, guy that's on the bubble, as, as so to speak. So I think you'll see a lot of those guys, and I think uh, Zenner, from my perspective, will be the guy to watch. Very tough runner. Uh, he should provide the Steelers' run defense with a great challenge. He's, you know, elu he's small, but yet he's elusive, and, and he's a very tough player out of South Dakota State. So watch for him tomorrow night uh, when the teams face off. 
a lot to look forward to. And, uh, you know, Max, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. But we can't let you go. I, I know that you, you know, you've been following the Lions for a long time. I want to talk about a, a crazy game that took place nearly 20 years ago, uh, the, the coin flip game, which it, it still lives in infamy for the wrong reasons in Pittsburgh. What are your memories from that game and that crazy coin flip game? And if, if we're dating ourselves too much for our, fa- our listeners, uh, 1998 Thanksgiving Day, uh, the game went into overtime, Steelers in Detroit. Jerome Bennett, what he, he said he called tails. The referee thought that he said heads. Uh, the coin was <laughs> tails. And was it Robert Porsche was the captain maybe? Even Johnny Mork maybe? Yeah. In any event, Detroit won the toss. They won in overtime. The Steelers lost five in a row, and it was just a, a travesty for the Steelers and a crazy game. What are your memories from that game, Max? Well, you remember the referee of that game was actually Phil Luckett. And and if you remember Phil Luckett, he had a controversial call in a playoff game, actually. I feel like it was that next year, maybe the year after, a couple years after uh, with the Jets and Dolphins, where he inadvertently called a guy short of the goal line and he had scored and it ended up playing a big role. So I don't think we heard from Phil Luckett since then, thank goodness, because, you know, the, the NFL has enough problems with their referees, but you know, every year in Detroit, the Thanksgiving Day game is such a big deal. And, you know, growing up here, you, you always have that special feeling. If Everybody spends it differently. Some people go to the game. Some people go to the parade in Detroit. Some people watch on TV. I just remember watching that game at my grandmother's house on her, her TV in her back living room and just being stunned stunned that they that they would mess up that that you know with microphones around them and everybody standing right there that they could mess up how somebody said heads or tails I mean it just blew my mind and then you know it's terribly terribly ironic that it was Jerome Bettis who's of course Detroit's favorite son I mean he still he comes back here all the time and does charity events and and he's always around the area here and is certainly beloved so you know, you feel so bad for Jerome that that had to happen in Detroit, of all places, his hometown. And, you know, hey, you know, the Lions have had so many bad years through the decades. I'm just going to say it. We'll take any win we can get when we can get them. <laughs> Whether or not the refs were right or wrong, we'll take it. <laughs> well, that was one of Barry Sanders' last games. And I, I remember, ironically, you know, the, the Steelers, going in. I think they did pretty well against him in that game. I think maybe he only had 53 yards or something like that, but it was Charlie Thatch who ended up being 14 years later, a decade later, the Steelers celebrated back up, uh, won a couple of races with the Steelers. Um, he led the, the Lions to victory, and you know, the Steelers at that point were 7-4. and four. They made the playoffs, I believe, six years in a row. Uh, after that loss, they didn't win another game that season, missed the playoffs, and they didn't make the playoffs in 98, 99, or 2000. So that kind of became... What a lot of Steelers fans look at it as the turning, the beginning of the end for for that run of, of '90 Steelers, where you know, led by Jerome Bettis, Cordell Stewart, and all those players. So that's definitely a game that that lives on in Steelers infamy. And uh, you know, it, it's actually funny, Max. I also watched that game at my grandmother's house on the TV in her back living room. So that, that's pretty <laughs> ironic that we watched the game. And if you remember the night, uh, the game immediately after that one, that was the famous uh, Thursday night game where Randy Moss had the, the three touchdowns with three catches for 150 yards when the Vikings beat the uh, Dallas Cowboys on Thursday night. So that there was two very memorable uh, Thursday night games that year. That that was you know what, and then Randy Moss. I've got another story about Randy Moss real fast. Randy Moss should have been a Detroit Lion because in that draft when he was slipping down the board, slipping down the board. 
the Lions didn't take him, and, and they were one of those teams that mysteriously had character concerns about Randy Moss and didn't worry about the type of guy he would be instead of just, you know, throwing him in a locker room that already had Barry Sanders and Herman Moore and a lot of great personalities that are stable human beings to kind of guide him. They looked at it and said, oh, we don't need that. We'll take Terry Fair, this little-known quarterback out of, quarterback out of Tennessee. Oh, never really. Right? 23, and he never really made an impact. But then they say, oh, we didn't need a wide receiver. We have Perriman and Moore and all those guys. What do they, what do they turn around and do in the second round? They draft, they draft Jermaine Crowell out of Virginia. Oh, so geez. why wouldn't you just take Randy Moss right there? Oh, I'll never forget that moment as long as I live when it comes to draft time because that was the day that, that the Lions – had Randy Moss fall into their lap. And I remember that very Thanksgiving when he went absolutely off. It was almost like Lions fans, they probably thought, we can't even watch this because this guy could have been in that offense. Imagine him in that offense with Barry Sanders, Herman Moore, all those other great players. I mean, it would have just been – you're talking about a team that if they had gotten the quarterback play, could have went on a run because they had a solid defense some of those years and, and good key pieces on other sides of the ball. You know, it just blows your mind. Truth is stranger than fiction a lot of times with a lot of things the Lions have done through the years in the draft, and that that's, could be one of the worst cases of it right there. Well, it's amazing. I think the next year the Steelers – the Steelers actually didn't have a chance to get Moss. Moss, I think, was, what, 21st to the Vikings. The Steelers were, Steelers were in the AFC title game the year before, so they, I don't think they, had a, they didn't have a chance to get him. I know the Lions – Lost in the wild card game that previous year, so they may. Yeah, I think they had a chance to get Moss right around the, when he was taken, actually by uh, by Minnesota. But uh, the next year, the Steelers got Troy Edwards, who was just you know dreadful and uh, wasn't any good in the first round. Uh, I believe he was their first round draft pick in '99. And then they got Plexico in 2000 because that. Then all of a sudden, that was the Randy Moss effect. Where yeah, if there's any freakishly tall receiver that has decent stats, you got to swoop him up. That was right. kind of the. <laughs> the trend at that point, you got to get someone like that. Plexico was so. a great Spartan, you know, just like Le'Veon Bell. I'm a great Spartan. Plexico is a great Spartan. We we love those guys. And now, he, now he's oh. doing a great job on TV when he's on TV. Well, I'll never forget when, when they beat Ohio State, when OSU was ranked number one ninety eight, and Plexico was just catching all these crazy passes, and him and, and Cedric Irvin and their redhead quarterback could beat, beat the Buckeyes in 98, <laughs> which – that that should have been Ohio State's '90s national championship, but it wasn't. But I digress. You got to you got to move on. But I'll be chatting with one last question. Now, I've got the Steelers at 13 and three. I'm, I'm going out on a limb. I, why be safe? Why say 11 and five? Why say 12 and four? Let's just go big or go home. I'm I'm going 13 and three. I think, you know, they have a tough schedule. You know, they've got New England. You know, they've got uh, you know they got to go to Washington week one that night, so that should be a good game. Uh, I just think that at full strength, this defense, I mean, they were injuring the line to the hilt last year and won 10 games. So you figure, okay, and now I know Baltimore is going to be better. I know the Browns will be somewhat better. They have, they can't be much worse. And I know Hugh Jackson's down there, and I think he's a good coach. And I don't know. I just think, why not? Why not just, just, just shoot for the stars and say, okay, well, this is the year that the Steelers are going to do something with all this talent. They've been building this thing since 2013. You know, they've transitioned away in, in large, you know, from the early 2000s to mid-2000s Steelers, except for obviously Big Ben. Um, so now, you know, this, this is, you know, this group has playoff success. They have playoff disappointment. They're, they're battle-tested. This is the, the time. 
Uh, what's your prediction for the Lions? I know they're not in the same place as the Steelers, but, you know, and I didn't really remember this until I researched the Lions not long ago. They had a, a, a big winning streak last year when I think, what, they started 1-7 and seven and then did they finish 7-9? and nine? So I know they definitely came on strong near the end of last year. And I, and I think Caldwell, I thought he was a great coach in Indianapolis. And, uh, you know, I know that a lot of people said, oh, well, that was Tony Dungy's team or whatever. You know what? At the end of the day, he was a Super Bowl coach. It doesn't matter – who was there before him? He was the one that got it done. So, uh, what are what's your prediction for the for the 2016 Detroit Lions? There's a saying in Detroit that you know when it comes to predicting the record for the Lions, and it's in a lot of the beat writer community, and even in, in a lot of the writer community here, you can never really go wrong predicting six and ten <laughs> because they could always go. Yeah. Th- in a good year, they could go six and ten. And then, or in a year that they're predicted to do better, they could bottom out and go six and ten. I, I think this year the Lions—they have a favorable schedule. They play uh, a lot of teams in the NFC East, which the NFC East was dreadful last year, absolutely dreadful. And uh, they get, you know, Washington at home. They get uh, Tennessee at home. They get some games at home that they should be able to win. But, I mean, there's always a danger with the Lions and that you should be able to win this game. They've more often than not through the years been able to lose those games they should win. So I think the Lions are going to have an 8-8 eight and eight year this year. I really do. I, I think there's potential for them to be good. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with how quickly the offense is able to overcome the loss of Matthew Stafford. And if they're able to gel really quickly, you could see them get off to a good start you know, and go on a winning streak. But there's a key stretch of the schedule at home in October where they play three straight games at home. And if that, that team comes in and if they're, you know, two and two there, and then they rip off a winning streak, then you could see them maybe, you know, make some noise and, and push for a playoff spot. At the end of the day, I don't think that I see that. I think I see them being, you know, challenging eight and eight. They'll, they'll be in every game. They'll be, uh, you know, they'll be on a better trajectory organizationally. And I, I think that uh, they'll just finish average this year, 8-8. Eight and eight. And I don't know whether that's going to be enough to save Caldwell. Like you said, he's a good coach. But I still think that, that it could come back to haunt him that the fact that the Lions ended up hiring uh, Bob Quinn in the offseason from, from the uh, New England Patriots, I think that could really hurt Caldwell because there's been rumors that, you know, Quinn is looking to change – so I think that if the Lions have a, a worse year than 8-8, eight and eight, I think you'll for sure see him change. 8-8 eight and eight could keep Caldwell around, but I don't know. But I think that there's enough pieces for them to be average, but not much better than average this year. Well, let's hope, let's hope that they, they do, you know, crack the 9-10 win mark to get into the playoffs because I know Detroit's a great sports town, and I, I think it's always good to get some new blood in the playoffs and, um, you know, let's hope Pittsburgh and Detroit can have good runs. And, and you never know. You know, I, I remember, uh, you know, 2013, the Steelers started 0-4 and, uh, and 2-6. and And then eventually they were 5-8, and eight, and then they won their last three. And overall, sitting out of their last eight, that just barely missed the playoffs and go 8-8 eight and eight in 2013. And I think that was really the springboard for the 2014 Steelers because, you know, they had – they learned it's hard to win football games, especially at the NFL level. You know, that's why I'm amazed when, you know, I know we're, we're cross sports here, but, you know, LeBron James, people talk about, oh, two and three and four in finals. It's hard to win one basketball game. Now let's talk about going to seven finals and six in a row. It's unbelievable. So, 
you know, I, I think, you know, for, for professional sports teams, especially in this era of salary cap, you know, it's hard for a nucleus, you know, a nucleus of a team, especially, again, when you're changing parts every year, to win, learn how to win games together. That's so, it's such a hard thing. But, you know, just like losing, winning is contagious. And, and just like for the Steelers in, in 2013 when they had that late run, which I think has propelled them to success in 2014 going 11-5, and five, then last year's success, hopefully that's the case for Detroit and, and, and the Lions could have something to look forward to. But, hey, Max, it was a lot of fun talking to you. Hopefully we'll do this again soon. And, uh, you know, if you're a Lions fan out there, make sure to check out Max's work, Detroit Lions at 24-7 Sports. And, uh, you know, Matt, thanks again for joining our show. This is Brian Diardo signing off, uh, as always. It's a great day to be a Steelers fan.